This is a story about an audiobook narrator. He starts to gain notoriety and fame, and then he starts competing for the best audiobooks. He's starting to compete for being the best male narrator. At that point, maybe he is kidnapped by two obsessed fans that want Sean to narrate their book. We're talking about the mystery thriller, Narrator, on this Desideratum. Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. This podcast celebrates storytelling as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, showcasing the talents of my author and narrator friends. I hope you'll hear an artist you love or find your next favorite wordsmith. I have good audio. Can you hear me okay? I hear you crystal clear. That's Landon Beach, author of the mystery thriller, Narrator. It's narrated by the legendary Scott Brick. You'll hear a scene from the audiobook in a few minutes. But first, I want you to hear how this author and narrator met. So one of the most intelligent, warm, and personable people uh, I've, I've ever known. He, he jokes that he says, I get paid to be well-read. <laughs> but you can read a lot of books and not be as articulate and informative as Scott is. Uh, he's incredible to talk to uh, about book topics and life topics. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to dedicate this story to your narrator? It was really an interesting story um, how I ended up working with Scott. How it happened was I remember back in 2007, my wife and I would travel up to Michigan from Florida and we would rent a couple audiobooks to listen to on the way up. I really liked David Baldacci's works, and he had a new book out called Simple Genius. And so we're driving from Florida up to Michigan, and you know, I was in such a trance from the audiobook. I was so immersed in the story that I politely asked my wife to pause it, and I said, who is reading this? Who is this guy? She had the Simple Genius package, and she looked on the back of it, and she said, guy named Scott Brick. And I said, wow. And I was writing at that time. But then, as you know, we have in common, you have children, life happens, you're very busy and whatnot. Yeah. But we finally got to the point where I had three books that I independently published and two had placed in international writing competitions. And I was ready to expand our business and take a look at getting them made for audiobooks. And my wife said, well, you know, we had our little our little meeting like we always do. We're a mighty army of two. <laughs> and she said, who, any thoughts of who you might go with? And I said, yes. I said, do you remember that guy? I, I wonder if he would be willing to. And I knew that 
he was such a big name by then he just celebrated his 20th year anniversary that he normally worked with traditionally published authors but i looked at his website and lo and behold i saw that he worked with a couple indies and so i looked at the two indies and then i was like oh whoa they're both million dollar sellers <laughs> but i thought with placing in those competitions and believing in myself that i had built my resume to a point where i felt comfortable to say why not let's see if he would be interested because they were very much in the genre which he's known for of action adventure and thrillers and so i just have to interrupt you and tell you that i think that is such a valuable kernel of life lesson that was a shoot for the moon kind of moment, right? You said, wow, what's my best case scenario? What would I really love? Yeah. Why not? Why not just ask, right? Right. Yeah. It was, you know, let's go for this. And his wonderful production manager, Gina Smith, um, reached back out to us and said, Scott is reading The Wreck right now, which was my first book of the three. And we'll get back to you if we would like to move forward. And so at that point, it was the most nerve wracking week of my life. <laughs> Being patient for big opportunities is so hard for creative people because we live in our own minds so much in coming up with new scenarios and thinking of the impossible. Uh, but a week later, uh, she came back and said, Scott really liked the book. And we signed a, a three book deal. And so it was a very traditional agreement for the first three, Teresa. It was, here are the books. And then the next time that I would hear them was when they were ready for the consumer and they'd been recorded. But after that third book, we decided to run a contest because it was during COVID when it got released. And so the winner got to have dinner with Scott. And then I was politely invited to join too, because <laughs> I knew that, you know, he was the big ticket. I was the ticket stub, but so the three of us were on Zoom and it was supposed to be about an hour and it ended up going over three hours. What Scott and I learned during that Zoom call was that we had a lot in common. And, and then from that point forward, the relationship changed in a very positive way. We would exchange ideas more when we released a book, which led to the ultimate collaboration where we worked really closely on narrator. I think you do a really fantastic job of delivering the reader or the listener right into the booth. You know, I think you have a lot of fine detail that, that puts you right there. And there are some dark themes to this story. You know, it's sure. addiction, um, jealousy. And you mentioned a few minutes ago just about how artists are sometimes in their head. And I think this main character He's he's an artist. He's vulnerable. Um, he thinks a lot of things through in his head. He's constantly questioning things. Will you talk a little bit about how you developed this character? Um, I am really a big fan of Robert McKee's works, and he is an incredible um, teacher of story. And he had a book called Story <laughs> and a book called Dialogue. And I don't know call it karma, call it divine intervention, the stars aligned, whatever else, but there was a rabbit foot in my pocket. <laughs> I don't know. But a book called Character came out by him right before I was thinking about writing narrator. And thank God it did. Because 
it took me on a journey and it pushed me to really do the work with Sean because I was going to have to live with this guy inside of his head for 123,000 words, which is what narrator ends up being. And I felt I had to know him better than any character that I have ever known in my life. So, and it's bad usually to operate under fear, but a little bit of fear is healthy and good when you're trying to produce your best work. And so my fear that I kept in my mind was I never wanted the reader to be taken out of the story. And I never wanted the reader or listener to say, oh, Sean Frost would never do that. Or Sean Frost would never say that. Mm. And so that was always my measuring stick as I went through crafting this. And one of the things that I do that I think helped me, and it's helped me on every single book, is I always have an idea of the climax at the end of the book. That's one of the first things that I write and think about. And so as I start from the beginning, I always have that endpoint that I'm shooting for. And it never derails me because I know I've got to get there somehow. Um, and then putting it in present tense, I thought it would bring a certain immediacy to the book. Like this is happening right now to Sean and we need to figure out what's happening. And of course, in first person, you can play with reliable and unreliable narration. Yes, that's a really good point that you are in his head. You write him in a way where his second guessing himself and what he thinks is real and what he thinks is happening plays into the thriller part of it. I think maybe that's what you just meant by reliable or unreliable. Like it's it's very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Can we can we trust what he's saying? <laughs> I've joked and said, you know, he's a hot mess, but I love him and he's a fighter, you know, but to identify, too, for people that are in the performing arts and creative arts. Um, there is a real sense of how will this be received? We're performers. When you're doing it for a living, you can't escape that. One thing that some performers and narrators and authors have um, gotten back to me about was that that part of it felt really authentic because they're like, yeah, those are those are my fears too as a flawed human being about what will the next day bring? Will I even find inspiration ever again and harness it for another piece of you know creative work? And I think that even goes back to probably an engine that drove the story as well, was that this is a comeback story. We have all experienced loss in our life. And when you experience loss professionally, you don't know if you're ever going to get it back again. And, you know, has it been taken away? Is Will I ever reach those heights again? And I thought that that might be interesting um, for everyone, because I think that's a universal theme of loss and recovery and trying to reclaim and maybe come back better than you were before in a different way. And so I think that everybody can identify with that um, aspect of Sean. Yes. So you really did do that. You wove together a real physical danger, a story of a thriller, physical danger, but also on on top and, and woven throughout are things that that everybody can relate to, actually. Yeah, come back. I like that. I don't know that I totally made that connection before you just said that. Um. Actually, that's a good spot to pause our chat and let you hear some of the audiobook. You'll be with main character Sean Frost in his booth talking about a book and a character he's narrating. 
This is from Narrator by Landon Beach, performed by Scott Brick, published by Brick by Brick Audiobooks. Why do authors have to kill off characters we love? I, Sean Frost, sit in my darkened recording booth and stare at the final paragraph of the novel I am narrating. Almost there. Finish it. Finish it right. Finish it with a flourish. But I can't. Not right now. For I am crying. The main character, Nehemiah Stone, died two pages ago in a self-sacrifice that I had not seen coming. The book, The Paris Sanction, is author M. Scott Sala's fourth Nehemiah Stone thriller, which I have waited patiently for two years for the chance to narrate. Five years ago, Simon and Schuster thought I was the perfect narrator for the job when they contacted my agent, David Killian, whom I affectionately refer to as Killy. At that point in my career, the beginning of it, I was reading Midlist Mysteries, a handful of Christmas-themed romances that always had a dog and a character that needed saving, and zero thrillers, especially from any top-tier talent. But I had built a loyal following in addition to my fan base that stemmed from my two-time Tony Award-winning writing and acting career, before the spectacular fall occurred that almost ended my life. In any case, Killy heard that thriller legend M. Scott Sala was shopping around book one of a planned decade-long series featuring a new protagonist, Nehemiah Stone, who was, and Killy quoted Sala's agent, the cane to Sala's Abel long-time protagonist Billy Rollins. It was big news because Sala, who had become a legend in part due to Hall of Fame audiobook narrator Michael Honey's narration of all 20 of Billy Rollins' adventures, was looking for a different narrator for his new series. Have you guessed my feelings for Michael Honey yet? Every rivalry has history, and ours is no different. I'm the new guy, and he's the legend. Now... The audiobook narrator community that I am a part of is one of the nicest, closest-knit, and most supportive communities that you will ever find, and I'm invested in it. You won't find the kind of mentoring and giving that takes place in our community and other acting circles. However, the profession is not immune from being vicious, cutthroat, and unforgiving, and you better have some grit and chutzpah to survive. And we do have our disagreements. You should read a book before you narrate it. You should never read a book before you narrate it. That kind of stuff. However, there is one thing that, minus one person, we all unanimously agree on. We all hate Michael Honey. To be fair, he is an extraordinary talent. In fact, Honey's voice is the homophone to his last name. Pure, smooth, golden Honey. And it will forever be attached to Salah's most enduring character, the lovable drifter Billy Rollins. But, even though Honey, by the point I was chosen for the new series, had already accumulated more best male narrator Audis than he had fingers on his right hand, Salah reasoned that for Nehemiah Stone, he needed a deeper, naturally coarser voice for the character. Stone was the dark side of Billy Rollins, and the books would not be globe-trotting adventures, with Billy getting laid every hundred pages and having his faults illuminated by the comedic foil of Boykin's Rathbone, an ex-con who was drunk for most of each outing. No, 
Nehemiah Stone was a vigilante with an impenetrable veneer and a sledgehammer for a fist. He had an ex-wife whom he couldn't seem to get out of his life. He liked fast cars and fast boats, and he enjoyed an eyeless scotch now and again. There was no partner, no best friend, no sentimentality, and nothing clean about anything in Nehemiah's life, except for his ability to work outside of the law and bring justice to hopeless cases. Rarely were the stakes larger than this, and the beauty of the novels was that they didn't have to be. One climbed on board a Nehemiah Stone novel for Nehemiah Stone, plain and simple. I always do a lot of research. This one probably was on a different level because I was so intimidated to approach Scott because this is his livelihood. This is, you know, his profession. And I wanted to get it right. I didn't want it to slip into a parody. I wanted it to be respectful and fun. And so I felt, um, you know, 99% of the audience, Teresa, probably would not realize if I would have been a little bit more lazy in my research. Um, but I wanted audiobook narrators and engineers and people in the profession to say, wow, this guy got it right. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been a, a book with an audiobook narrator as the main character set within the framework of a psychological thriller. I've had movies because I studied film in college as well. And so you had Vertigo and Play Misty for me and Misery. And I thought, wow, it got me thinking about, you know, what could I play here with the story? And But I never had a way to tell it. Because so much had been done about the entertainment industry, whether it was an actor or it was a producer or a disc jockey or an author like in Misery. But then after those first three books with Scott, I said, I think I finally got it. I don't think anyone has done something with an audiobook narrator. It was a big challenge, but um, I, and that's probably another reason I dedicated to Scott, because without him performing those books, I don't think I would have come up with the character and occupation to fulfill that role for that book that had been in my mind for 20 years. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up um, film and movies as inspiration too, because it's really, it is cinematic at times. Yeah. My master's is in screenwriting. And so I always write with a film in mind. It's just how I've always worked <laughs> as an author. You're always thinking about, how can I cast a wide net to entertain as many people as possible? And so those universal themes like loss and comeback story and trying to come back better than you were before, but also too, hey, do you want some inside information about something that you don't know about? And by the way, in an industry that is absolutely exploding with 10 years plus of double digit growth, I mean, you know, audiobooks just, <laughs> it's taken off. Yes. I think that people have figured out many different ways to listen. Right. So to work listening into their life. Yeah. Like I think you used the example of a car trip at the very beginning. We were talking about the first time you heard Scott. Yeah. And I think that was sort of the that was the vehicle literally for listening to audiobooks for a long time. But now the ability to have audio with us all the time in very tiny earpieces, wherever we're going so prevalent and such a huge, uh, like you said, huge growth of industry. The big argument is right now, do we read more 
or do we read less? And you have to be careful with how you answer that because when you are on your computer or on your phone and you're consuming content. Yeah. You're reading. And so is that more or less, you know, or is it just different than, you know, what we did before? Yeah. Well, it's really been such a pleasure talking to you about it. You're a very thoughtful author, I think. You've there are a lot of places in this story where he goes through scenarios. He said, but what what if it's this? Or what if she meant this? And what if she did that? And you let him sort of play things through in his mind in a way that I really enjoyed. I thought it was really great. Well, thank you. That that means a lot. I, you know, I, I've had conversations with friends and other creators about um, instances in our lives when you think of an interaction that you had with someone and five hours later, the right thing to say comes to you and you're like, oh, I wish I could go back and say that. Yeah. The last question I usually like to ask is based on the name of the podcast. Um, Desideratum is a Latin word and it means things that are desired as essential. And it comes from a poem actually that was called Desiderata. My parents had it hanging in my house when I was growing up and I have it hanging up for my kids. And yeah. So I want to end with asking you, what for you is essential? Well, first of all, I love the title of your podcast, and that poem has meant the world to me. Oh. I think about it all the time, uh, very sage guidance and words in that poem. But essential, you know, um, Um, For creators, I think it's connection. I think it's this need to create. It's this need to explore. Um, And stories have been around since, you know, our Neolithic forebears were around a campfire. (laughs) And why we loved when we were read to as children, um, which is, I think, a huge appeal of audiobooks. My wife is a third grade teacher and says that the kids still love circle story time mm. um and so i think that those those things are are necessary those things are, are for for life to to go on and, and sustain you know relationships creativity drive friendships um and food water shelter right <laughs> <laughs> yes i think we we develop that ability to listen to story very young yeah i think we i think we develop that longing for someone to tell me a story yeah from a really young age right well it's interesting because you know with stories there's a beginning a middle and an end and there are only so many plots or characters or archetypes um, that you can go through even when you combine genres and have mixed genre stories what makes it unique what makes stories go on and what makes them fresh is that the individual storyteller, you might look and say, oh, well, you know, that story has sort of been told before, but you know what? It hasn't been told by you. Hmm. That's why, in my opinion, stories will never go out of style. They'll never end because we will have different human beings giving their version of possibly a story that was familiar. But that's why I always think of it as you haven't told that story that Yes, that's such a great point. I think I think that's one of the criticisms you hear is that like there's no original thought, <laughs> right? It's all been done before. It's all been said before. Every song's been sung. But you're so right in that we are each 
unique vessels for story mm-hmm. in how we receive them and unique lens or mouthpiece for story in how we tell it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Landon Beach as much as I did. You can visit landonbeachbooks.com to see all his books and to subscribe to his newsletter. I also want to congratulate Scott Brick. His performance of this book earned him an Audie finalist for Best Male Narrator. And, as always, thank you for listening.